Caroline. She is small, she has a good figure and regular features, and I suppose that the impression of plainness arises from some inner modesty, some needlessly narrow view of her chances. Dr. Trencher doesn't smoke or drink, and I don't know whether there's any connection or not, but the coloring in his slender face is fresh. His cheeks are pink, and his blue eyes are clear and strong. He has the singular optimism of a well-adjusted physician, the feeling that death is a chance misfortune, and that the physical world is merely a field for conquest. In the same way that his wife seems plain, he seems young. The Trenchers live in a comfortable and unpretentious private house in our neighborhood. The house is old-fashioned, its living rooms are large, its walls are gloomy, and the Trenchers don't seem to generate enough human warmth to animate the place, so that you sometimes take away from them at the end of an evening an impression of many empty rooms. Mrs. Trencher is noticeably attached to her possessions, her clothes, her jewels, and the ornaments she's bought for the house, and to Fräulein, the old dachshund. She feeds Fräulein scraps from the table, furtively, as if she has been forbidden to do this, and after dinner Fräulein lies beside her on the sofa. With the play of green light from a television set on her drawn features and her thin hands stroking Fräulein, Mrs. Trencher looked to me one evening like a good-hearted and miserable soul. Mrs. Trencher began to call Ethel in the mornings for a talk or to ask her for lunch or a matinee. Ethel can't go out in the day, and she claims to dislike long telephone conversations. She complained that Mrs. Trencher was a tireless and aggressive gossip. Then, late one afternoon, Dr. Trencher appeared at the playground where Ethel takes our two children. He was walking by, and he saw her and sat with her until it was time to take the children home. He came again a few days later, and then his visits with Ethel in the playground, she told me, became a regular thing. Ethel thought that perhaps he didn't have many patients, and that with nothing to do, he was happy to talk with anyone. Then, when we were washing dishes one night, Ethel said thoughtfully that Trencher's attitude toward her seemed strange. He stares at me, she said. He sighs and stares at me. I know what my wife looks like in the playground. She wears an old tweed coat, overshoes, and army gloves, and a scarf is tied under her chin. The playground is a fenced and paved lot between a slum and the river. The picture of this well-dressed, pink-cheeked doctor losing his heart to Ethel in this environment was hard to take seriously. She didn't mention him then for several days, and I guessed that he had stopped his visits. Ethel's birthday came at the end of the month, and I forgot about it. But when I came home that evening, there were a lot of roses in the living room. They were a birthday present from Trencher, she told me. I was cross at myself for having forgotten her birthday, and Trencher's roses made me angry. I asked her if she'd seen him recently. Oh, yes, she said. He still comes to the playground nearly every afternoon. I haven't told you, have I? He's made his declaration. He loves me. He can't live without me. He'd walk through fire to hear the notes of my voice, she laughed. That's what he said. Well, when did he say this? at the playground and walking home yesterday. How long has he known? Well, that's the funny part about it, she said. He knew before he met me at the Newsom's that night. He saw me waiting for a crosstown bus about three weeks before that. He just saw me, and he said that he knew then, the minute he saw me. Of course, he's crazy. I was tired that night and worried about taxes and bills, and I could think of Trencher's declaration only as a comical mistake. I felt that he was a captive of financial and sentimental commitments, like every other man I know, 
and that he was no more free to fall in love with a strange woman he saw on a street corner than he was to take a walking trip through French Guiana or to recommence his life in Chicago under an assumed name. His declaration, the scene in the playground, seemed to me to be like those chance meetings that are a part of life in any large city. A blind man asks you to help him across the street, and as you are about to leave him, he seizes your arm and regales you with a passionate account of his cruel and ungrateful children. Or the elevator man who is taking you up to a party turns to you suddenly and says that his grandson has infantile paralysis. The city is full of accidental revelation, half-heard cries for help, and strangers who will tell you everything at the first suspicion of sympathy. And Trencher seemed to me like the blind man or the elevator operator. His declaration had no more bearing on the business of our lives than these interruptions. Mrs. Trencher's telephone conversations had stopped, and we had stopped visiting the Trenchers. But sometimes I would see him in the morning on the Crosstown bus when I was late going...